Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. How can you drop an egg 10 feet without breaking it? How do you do that? Drop an egg 10 feet and be certain that it will not break. All right, that's a little bit of a challenge for you. And if you know the answer to that, uh, 514-790-0800. And you can also text to 514-800. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society, where we try to separate sense from nonsense for you, keep you up to date on what is happening in the world of science, and hopefully foster some critical thinking. <clears throat> Remember the movie The Graduate? Well, I'm sure many of you do, 1967. And uh, a friend, a family friend, corrals young Benjamin, of course, played by uh, Dustin Hoffman, who had just graduated from college, and he whispers something into Benjamin's ear. Plastics. Well, back then in 1967, plastics were regarded as the miracle materials that were capable of changing lives. And I remember going to the uh, World's Fair in the 1960s, actually in 1963 in New York, where uh, DuPont had a pavilion. And of course, they still had the slogan, better things through, for better living through chemistry, which I think was a, a great slogan. And uh, they had an auditorium there where they featured dancers dressed up like molecules. And they talked about all the new discoveries. They talked about uh, uh, the nylon curtains in the room, the, uh, the acrylic uh, carpet, the uh, polyurethane cushions, etc. It, it was neat. And right next to them was the space display. And of course, this was in the, the days of the space race with the, the Soviets. And science was flying high, and nobody batted an eye at, at uh, plastics. They, you know, they were regarded as, as uh, great things. Virtually every industry, from airplane manufacturers, hospital equipment producers, to kitchen appliances, tableware producers, they all benefited from plastics. Tupperware parties were popular, and vinyl records were the rage. Remember vinyl records? I asked that in class one of these days, and, and uh, uh, many of the students had never seen a vinyl record. Some undoubtedly didn't even know what I was uh, talking about. Anyway, times have changed, haven't they? Plastics now are a pariah, pollutants that are said to be sullying and endangering our environment. And you know what? If uh, young Benjamin were embarking on a career today, the whispered word into his ear would likely not be plastics, but bioplastics with further qualifiers such as degradable or biodegradable or oxodegradable or recyclable or compostable. These are the terms that have been infiltrating advertising as the plastics industry attempts to cope with the negative image of beaches defiled with plastic bottles, garbage patches in our oceans, shopping bags in gutters, and straws up turtles' noses. Items made from the most common plastics, like polyethylene, polypropylene, polyethylene terephthalate, and polyvinyl chloride, are extremely durable, and they can stay around in the environment for decades and decades. You know that polyethylene hula hoop that you bought way back in the 1950s and probably is in your garage or you give it to grandchildren? 
it doesn't look any worse for wear, does it? And that Bakelite bracelet, made over a hundred years ago, looks like it could have been made today. That plastic bottle, carelessly tossed into the ocean from a boat, may float for decades before being battered enough by waves to break into smaller pieces that can then be mistaken for food by fish and end up in their stomachs. And the fish then, of course, could end up on our dinner plates and that plastic in our stomach. Most plastics are made from natural gas or petroleum, which is another concern since these are non-renewable resources. So we have some challenges. One challenge, of course, is to cut down on the amount of plastics that uh, are environmentally persistent. And also, we want to find renewable resources that can be converted into bioplastics. All right, so what are these bioplastics? A bioplastic is one that is produced partly or wholly from living species, such as plants or microbes, rather than from fossil fuel. An example would be polylactic acid, often abbreviated as PLA, and that's made from lactic acid, which in turn is produced by the action of a certain type of bacteria, lactic acid bacteria, on starch. And when you mix the bacteria with starch from corn or from cassava or sugarcane or from sugar beets, uh, you get production of this material called lactic acid, and that can be polymerized into polylactic acid. And this is deemed to be a green plastic because it is made from a renewable resource. And uh, PLA can be used to make transparent drinking cups, disposable tableware, tea bags. But here's an important point to remember. Bioplastics are not necessarily biodegradable. PLA is not. What does that mean? It means that it isn't broken down by microbes in the environment. If you take one of these PLA cups and you leave it outside, put it in your backyard, it is not going to be degraded. Bacteria do not look on this as uh, food. However, it is compostable. As long as you're talking about an in industrial facility where the temperature and pressure can be strictly controlled in order to enhance microbial action. That's why PLA is great for making compost bags. You put all your compost in it, and the bag itself and everything in it, of course, can go into the compost bin because that gets taken to a proper facility. But it is important to know that compostable does not mean that the plastic will break down in the compost heap in your backyard. Compostable on a label means that it has been shown that in a proper composting facility, it will decompose. Into what? Well, into carbon dioxide, water, and a complex mixture of organic compounds, like cellulose, hemicellulose, lignin, collectively referred to as biomass. But that will not happen in landfill, so a compostable bag should never go into a landfill. So don't put that into the garbage. Don't put it into, into the recycling either, because it's not meant to be recycled. It's meant to be composted. Not all bioplastics are biodegradable or compostable. For example, polyethylene can be made from ethylene that is made from ethanol that in turn is produced by fermentation of corn or sugarcane. That polyethylene is identical to the polyethylene made from 
ethylene that is derived from natural gas or petroleum, and it is not biodegradable, it is not compostable. But you know what? This polyethylene could be advertised as bioplastic or as renewable polyethylene because it was made from sugarcane or, or corn. Does it have any advantage over <clears throat> regular polyethylene? Well, chemically, of course, it's the same, but it doesn't mean that the production is exactly the same. When the corn or sugarcane is growing, it uses up carbon dioxide from the air through photosynthesis. On the other hand, the land dedicated to the crops requires deforestation and, of course, the use of fertilizers and use of pesticides. Now, polyethylene, whether it is said to be bio-polyethylene or regular polyethylene, is not biodegradable. However, it is recyclable. But here's another thing to remember. Recyclable does not necessarily mean recycled. Unfortunately, much of the plastic that goes into the blue bins ends up in landfills or in incinerators. Uh, this is a hot topic these days, and it is the topic that I'll be discussing tomorrow at the Eleanor London Public Library in Coates and Luke for my monthly discussion, 2 o'clock tomorrow. Everyone is invited. Of course, it's free. I'm going to talk about this whole business of plastics and recyclables and degradables, biodegradables, etc., compostables, because it's very important to know this uh, information. But right now, we're going to take a break, check for traffic, and we'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let me see if uh, Frank has an answer to my question about how you can drop an egg 10 feet without breaking it. Hey, Frank. Hey, Dr. Joe. How are you today? Good. Yeah, listen, I always enjoy your show. Thank you. And uh, my answer, it just came quickly. Somebody catches it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, no? Well, that, that would not guarantee it because, no. uh, you know, if you drop an egg 10 feet, it's coming down pretty fast. You might catch it. It could break. Okay, is, so, it a, is it hard-boiled? No. No, okay, it's not that either. And by the way, I just wanted to ask you a question. Yep. How many turtles have you heard reported that they have straws up their noses? Well, there is that one picture, you know, <laughs> which is all over the place. That's the one they, that's yeah. the one they put up front. Uh, of course, yeah. of course. But, but listen, I enjoy yep. your show. Uh, I'm going to be listening for that answer. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Joe. Very good. Thank Bye. you. Okay, let me uh, let me go to uh, Edward. Hi, Edward. Uh, thanks for taking my call, uh, Dr. Joe. Yes, it's sir. about the coronavirus. What Those about? who proved uh, positive and they asked to stay at home. Yeah. What happened to the wastewater that uh, usually the rivers and stuff like that? How long did this virus stay active? Very good question. So the question is whether or not uh, uh, your urine or your feces can... Uh, uh, get rid of the virus, or at least it, that it may be contaminating the virus, which then contaminates whatever the water comes into contact with. It's a very interesting question. Uh, as a general rule, uh, viruses do not go through the uh, uh, digestive system like that and contaminate the feces. But nobody has looked at this particular one. There's just so many unknowns about this. You know, I mean, uh, <clears throat> there are 
discussions about whether or not even just flatulation uh, can release some of the virus. Uh, I think it's very, very unlikely, and I think it's very unlikely that it is in the uh, urine or the feces, but it, it's an interesting uh, question. And, um, you know, everyone is, of course, concerned about how this virus can be spread, and uh, nobody really knows. And what happens to those uh, people who have pets and uh, the pets have to go outside, you know, like a, like a dog? You know, there, uh, I, and there's even now the question of whether or not it is possible to transmit it to animals and then have those animals again transmitted to, uh, to humans. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's not a good situation. That's, that's for sure. And, uh, I mean, eventually all of these questions, you know, will be answered through experience. But uh, right now, the, the evidence seems to be that it is transmitted by coughing, by sneezing, and then touching surfaces, and someone else touches the same surface or inhales some of those droplets. That seems to be the mode of transmission. But uh, oh. it's an evolving story. And, right. uh, and uh, I think uh, I thought that we were going to find out this past week, really, which way it's going. And uh, we still don't have a concrete answer. It still seems to be increasing, although I think yesterday and today there were fewer cases reported, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you more. more. There's, no, there's no treatment so far that's uh, come out, and whatever you, you know, read about on, uh, on the Internet is uh, essentially nonsense. There's nothing, no treatment. Mm-hmm. I was actually looking at a... <clears throat> A video someone asked me to look at uh, this chiropractor by the name of uh, Eric Berg somewhere in the U.S. And he's a chiropractor, but he fancies himself to be an expert on everything. And he has this video where he's talking about the coronavirus, and he says that that uh, you know you you can uh, treat it with or at least try to prevent it by taking vitamin D supplements, and going on a keto diet and fasting. Uh, this is all fanciful stuff. There's no evidence for this uh, whatsoever. He he also thinks that uh, the bubonic plague was due to a volcanic eruption that uh, uh, put uh, dust into the air and obscured the sun so that people who were vitamin D deficient and their immune system wasn't uh, working properly. And he thinks that the flu, the 2018-2019 flu, was uh, due to the switching from fresh foods to canned foods during the war, and that the canned foods were less nutritious, and that affected people's immune system. Uh, this is, is just nonsense. But all the nonsense comes out you know, when you have crisis situations, such as the one we now have for the coronavirus. Okay, anyway, thanks very much for your uh, for the call. Let me go to uh, Mamie. Mamie. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. Um, I have a question, and it's concerning about your... Two weeks ago, you were talking about uh, facial masks. Yeah. And you were talking about the semen mask. <clears throat> I was talking about the N95 mask. Oh, you were not talking about the semen mask. No. What is the semen mask? Oh, that um, semen is good for the face? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were talking about that. No. Oh, okay, because I I have in my hand yeah. a mass that it's made from horse placenta. Horse placenta? Yes. And what is this supposed to do? I have no idea because it's from Japan. It's given to me by my cousin through my mom. 
and everything is in Japanese, so I have no idea. <laughs> okay, this this is worthwhile looking into, which I will do. A mask made of placenta. You you actually have it? You're looking at it? I'm, I have it right in my hand. What does it look like or feel like? Well, it's a sheet mask that you put on your face. And it's it, it's hard or soft? It's soft. Uh, Soft. It's it's not open, but I can feel it, and it's soft. And it's made from horse placenta. Yeah, it says horse placenta on the on the front. <laughs> it says horse placenta treatment mask. I I would suspect that that is more for some sort of skin uh, condition, like the moisturize the skin or reju- rejuvenate the skin, that kind of thing. That's... Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's a mu- a beauty mask. It's oh, it's a beauty mask. Okay, not not not, not a protective mask against uh, oh, the no, virus. Oh no 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 oh, no no. That's okay, why okay, I yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. That's why I mentioned the semen mask because I heard people. Oh were... yeah yeah. No, we were talking. Oh, the semen mask. Yes. That, well, we were talking about u- using semen on the skin. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. That's that, right. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. We were talking about that. And yeah, when you right. mentioned that, I said yeah. to myself, oh. I have something that's oh. made out of horse placenta. Okay. Well, I, you know what? I think it works about as well as a semen mask. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> but it, it it sounds like an is- interesting historical item. I'd, I, if you have a picture of it, I'd like to see that. If you could uh, email me a picture of it. Okay, very good. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to see that. I, I, I like to look into these unusual things. I, I don't think I would commit to putting horse placenta on my face, but but uh, I'd like to see the picture of it. Well, for me, it's the ick factor. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I suspect that the, the mask itself doesn't look icky. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of placenta creams out there that are supposed to rejuvenate the face. Okay, but <laughs> made, I mean, from a horse? Well, whether it's horse or whatever animal doesn't really matter. It's 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 the the claim that there are components in in the placenta that can have this effect. Of course, there's no evidence for anything like that. Okay. So uh, I I would I would say that this is just an uh, interesting item that belongs in uh, in my quack museum. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your email address? So it's joe j o e dot s c h w a r c z at mcgill dot c a. Very good. Okay, yeah, I'd like to see that. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, I forgot we had talked about that uh, that mask the, or semen treatments for uh, for the face re- rejuvenation. And of course, uh, the first thing that came to me when we mentioned masks is that I had talked about the N95 mask, which is the one that people are using for the coronavirus, and they're uh, just um, stripping the shelves in, in the U.S. Uh, free of them. You can't get them anymore. And, uh, I mean, we don't really have evidence that the masks do a great deal of good, but this one is at least uh, one that provides a seal around your nose and your mouth so that, that uh, there's no open space around it. Okay, uh, it is time to take a break, and uh, we're going to check the news. And during the news, I'm going to see if I can find out something about the horse placenta face mask. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, we're back. And uh, while you've been listening to the news, I've I've been becoming an expert on horse placenta. Because, of course, thanks to the uh, Internet, you can very quickly develop expertise in almost anything. Well, it turns out that there's a whole world out there of people who are putting various kinds of placenta on their face. 
sheep placenta, horse placenta, placenta from whatever animal, probably human placenta as well. We're using creams that uh, are made from uh, placenta or using face masks made from placenta. And the uh, explanation always is that placenta contains stem cells and that these stem cells somehow miraculously get into the skin and will rejuvenate it. Of course, that's a hokey explanation. Uh, stem cells will not get into your skin from placenta and do anything there. The most I think that placenta can do is uh, moisturize the skin. I think it may have some oily material on it that it gets left behind uh, on the skin. Anyway, I come across this uh, fascinating article in uh, Vice, which is an online uh, magazine, about uh, uh, a lady in Spain who seems to have a scientific bent, and she wanted to try all of these crazy things that she heard about. And uh, there are plenty of celebrities out there, of course, who are promoting all kinds of, of beauty treatments. Kim Kardashian, of course, would be at the top of the line. Uh, and then there's Scarlett Johansson, who uses vinegar to beautify. Uh, she takes a bath in, in, uh, in water that has vinegar or lemon juice uh, poured into it. But this lady also gave uh, the uh, uh, placenta uh, a try. She had uh, trouble getting horse placenta, but eventually she called a horse breeder, and they were able to give her one. She took it home in a bucket. Uh, she was also able to uh, give a name to the uh, foal that uh, benefited from that uh, placenta. And uh, that was sort of an honor given to her for taking the placenta uh, away. She took it home, she put it in the fridge, and by the next morning it started to, to smell. This is one large placenta. And anyway, then she cut off a piece and uh, put it on her face, uh, said that it smelled absolutely atrocious. And uh, after taking it off, she couldn't see that there had been any kind of benefit. But this was a very adventurous lady. She went on to try other things, like having snails crawl on her face, because that is also supposed to be a beauty treatment. She didn't find that that did uh, anything at all. Then she... Uh, she went for uh, um, a treatment whereby they take your blood, spin it down, take some of your plasma, and inject it into the face. She claims that there was a little bit of a benefit from uh, from that one, uh, a lot more than from the placenta or from the snails crawling on her on her face. Um, then she tried some hemorrhoid cream under her eyes because that has a, a constricting effect, supposed to have some benefit on the bags under your eyes. And uh, she said it had a little bit of an effect, but uh, wasn't enamored of it. And she was still stinking of the placenta on her face. Anyway, it's a very interesting article, and I'm sure if you just Google vice and, and uh, celebrity beauty regimens, uh, you'll, you'll find it. And uh, as she says, you know, for, uh, uh, for every doctor who says that none of these things work, there will be some celebrities who say that it does. The question is, who are you going to believe? All right, so that's the story with the placenta. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the lines. Uh, Akram. Yes, sir. Akram. Yes, uh, Dr. Joe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did a course in uh, Vanier College in physics, uh -huh. and we actually tried the uh, the egg uh, okay. question about 10 feet. Okay. And we tried it in the snow, mm -hmm. and it worked. We tried it in the water, and it worked, like in the bottom, you know? Mm -hmm. But 
it all came down to like uh, geometry and physics involved, you know, kinetic energy. Well, boy, my question is, how can you be 100% sure that if you drop an egg 10 feet, it will not break? Um, 100%, I can't guarantee it because we tried it on the earth, just plain right. earth. But my question is 100%. Okay, <laughs> we're going to try to see if Joseph has the answer. Joseph. Oh, how are you doing? Hi. Yes, uh, my answer to the question to the uh, to the eight drop in the yes. egg w would it be uh, would it be uh, to make a cloth like a parachute for it? Well, you still couldn't guarantee that it will not break. We're looking for something hundred percent certainty. Drop an egg for ten feet, and it will not break. There's a little bit of a trick to this question. Oh, <clears throat> uh, well, maybe. You'd need something to throw it into a jello or some kind of... No, no, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Okay. Okay, All thank right. you. Thanks. Bye. Let's, Bye. Go to, let's go to Luther. Luther. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, is it more risky to get on a plane now or not? Like, I need to go to Toronto Tuesday, come back Thursday. Uh, oh, my I... mind's playing games, you know. Would yeah. you get on a plane or there's no more inherent oh, uh, risk now than there was, uh, no, you know, whenever? I, I, I would and will get on a plane in, in Canada within the next week. Do you uh, think that those planes that travel to Montreal, Toronto route are not the same? As, I know people can come from international yeah, flights. Yeah. Not the same. I, I would think... you take... You're, Sorry, you're, worried, you're worried about touching something on the plane that someone else would have touched. And yeah, because you said before, surfaces and it, stuff It's like, possible. Would you, I, I, would you yeah. wipe down with antibiotic wipes? That's with always, any extra that's, precautions? Listen, that's, that's always a good thing when you go on a plane because you never know, who, you know who's been touching what. So the tray in front of you, it is a good idea to wipe that, you know, because you'll be touching that a great deal. What about your phone and your bags? Well, the more, the, the better care you take these days, you know, you're, you're, you're just a chance. I mean, washing your hands is the most important thing, you know, and, and not touching your face because the face is the entry. And uh, touching the eyes, touching nose, touching the mouth, that's how viruses get in there. So that's why you want to make sure that your, that your hands are clean because people do have a tendency to touching their face. But, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not worried about going on, uh, on a plane between Montreal and Toronto for sure. I am, I am supposed to go to Rome at the end of this month, and uh, that's a different question. <laughs> we'll see what happens with that one. Thank you for taking my call, okay. Dr. Joe. I appreciate it. Great okay. show. Thank you. Bye. Okay, let's uh, go to, who's that, a guy? Guy? Yes. Uh, yes, sir. Hi, How are you? Okay. You're good. Uh, well, I guess you're getting bombarded with these uh, same type of questions, but mine is with time. I have a trip planned for April uh, to Spain, but uh, it's the time factor. Like, if I needed to go tomorrow morning, I would go. Uh, but uh, how is the acceleration of this uh, for in the next couple of months you know well uh, listen like you're you're asking you're asking a question that that you know millions of people around the world are asking and nobody really has the answer yet we don't know which way this is going to go i mean it it could become a, just a horrible pandemic you know with millions of people everywhere infected or it could just uh, peter out within the next couple of weeks yeah. uh Nobody really knows, you know, and, and you can't even really make an educated guess on this. What we have to do is, is you know, follow the graph of, of number of new infections reported every day. 
and then we then we can you know have a guess at which way that it is going uh, I don't know about today but I think yesterday there were fewer infections new infections reported yeah so that you know that would be somewhat comforting but I mean right now I, I think April is too far to think ahead about you know what's going to be we, we can't predict yeah. uh, things could have calmed down very well by April or we could be in the midst of a full-blown pandemic I don't know yeah. yeah and I guess if there is uh, you know the 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 advisories will be, absolutely you uh, follow you follow the yeah. Canadian government advisories yeah, yeah. That's it. so if, uh, if they tell you not to fly you don't fly that's, uh, that's right Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll check traffic and be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay. Let's let's get past this egg question and move on. Let's get the answer, Louise. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I heard this many many years ago. Could it be soaking the egg in vinegar? No. Oh, no. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. All right, bye. Uh, Next, is that Bob? Hi there. Hi. Is it um, drop it from 11 feet? Yes. Finally, we'll get the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I I had had three or four other ideas, but when you said it could be a bit of a trick question, I thought, ah, maybe... Yeah, of course. I mean, you you drop it from a height greater than ten feet, and the egg will certainly not break for ten, ten feet. Okay. Hey, although, enjoy although, your show very much. Although our operator Dave had a very interesting uh, possibility for this too. He said you go in an elevator and hold the egg in your hand, and oh, you done, and the elevator to... goes down ten feet, and it's still not broken. So oh. that that's also yes, a really brilliant uh, answer to the question. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Uh, other things, very interesting things people have uh, uh, texted in. One, you know, I, I was talking about uh, bioplastics and um, uh, got a text message here about how bio-based polymer is the preferred term to bioplastic. No, that, no. Bio-based pol- polymers are not necessarily bioplastics. Uh, a bio-based polymer could be a protein that is extracted from a plant. That's a bio-based polymer, but it is not uh, a plastic. So uh, a polymer is just a a long molecule made up of small molecules put together in a chain, but it does not necessarily have to be a plastic. Plastics are materials which are usually polymers that can be uh, heated and molded and uh, will retain their shape when they are cooled down. That's what a plastic is. And most most plastics are, are polymers, but also not necessarily. For example, clay can be regarded to be a plastic because you can uh, warm it up, shape it, and then uh, when it cools down, it holds its, uh, its shape. Uh, so uh, uh, they're somewhat distinct terms. Uh, bio, uh, bioplastics are bio-based polymers. But bio-based polymers are not necessarily bioplastics, if you get what uh, what I mean. And someone asked, was asking if I will ever have a show on human composting. Well, human composting is done all the time. That's what happens when you put someone in the ground, right? Eventually, they get composted. And uh, 
I guess why you're asking is because uh, in some places, learning out of cemetery space, right? And uh, this question about what to do with uh, with bodies, whether or not they can be uh, composted. Well, in theory, yes, bodies can be composted. Obviously, they can also be used as a source of energy when they are uh, when they are cremated. Okay, uh, so. We've uh, informed you about a lot of interesting things here, but uh, let me get to uh, pizza and heart disease. How about that that connection, you know? There was a study done in, in Italy, well, where else, of uh, patients who had uh, appeared in a hospital with cardiac symptoms or a heart attack, and uh, one of the first things they were asked, just as, as treatment was being engaged, uh, is whether or not they had uh, been uh, eating pizza. Well, why were they talking about this? Because the researchers were interested in whether or not there were certain foods that could uh, trigger heart disease. And of course, because in Italy, there's a long history of uh, eating pizza, uh, this was a, a sort of a neat way to uh, go about it. Uh, so the actual question uh, was asked of 507 heart attack victims and 478 others who had not been admitted for any heart disease. And, uh, you know, I mean, the question was, was there a difference? And we've all heard about the benefits of the highly touted Mediterranean diet, and Italian researchers decided to find out if pizza specifically played a role in protection against cardiovascular disease. So after admission to the hospital, the patients were interviewed about their lifestyle habits and their diets. They filled out a 78-item food frequency questionnaire on the basis of which they were divided into non-pizza eaters, occasional pizza eaters, meaning one to three portions a month, and regular pizza eaters who consume more than one portion per week. Heart attack victims reported they had exercised less than controls, smoked more often, consumed more coffee, and drank less alcohol. No surprise here. They also had more of a history of high blood pressure, consumed more calories, and ate fewer fruits and vegetables. Still no surprise. But the pleasant surprise came when pizza eating was considered. Regular pizza eaters were 40% suffer heart attack than those who never ate pizza. Why this should be so is somewhat of a mystery. Perhaps pizza eating is just an indicator of following a Mediterranean diet, which tends to be lower in fat than the North American diet. We have to remember that we're talking about pizza served in Italy, not the American version. No double cheese, no cheese-filled dough, no piles of pepperoni or globs of trans-fat latent shortening. The dough is thin, the pizza is dressed with olive oil and cheese, and of course there's plenty of fresh tomato sauce. Of course the answer to this pizza mystery may lie not in what people are eating, but rather in what they are not eating. Perhaps the pizza is displacing high-fat hamburgers and fries from the diet. Something else to remember. A portion of pizza in this study was defined as 200 grams, and even the so-called regular eaters averaged only 500 grams of pizza per week. Indeed, then, pizza may be displacing higher-calorie foods from the diet. To be sure, this was an interesting study, but more of a curiosity than anything else. And I hope it will not lead people to conclude that eat the lower the risk of having a heart attack, especially not the kind of pizza that most people eat here. You know, with all of that cheese on there and with the pepperoni. And the uh, pepperoni, of course, has been called into question a great deal recently because it is, quote, a processed meat. 
and uh, issues about the nitrites that are used in the in, in the processing. And as you know, we have had advisories about uh, the link between eating a lot of processed eat, meat and uh, colon cancer. So, um, yeah, it's not a good idea to eat a lot of processed meat. doesn't mean that you never eat it. And, uh, this month is March. It's nutrition month. So it's worth talking about all of these things, what we should be eating and what we should not be eating. And I'm going to give that a shot uh, at the Jewish General Hospital on Wednesday, which is March the 4th. At and uh, in celebration of their Nutrition Month, they're organizing a variety of activities. And uh, uh, my little talk is going to be part of that activity. It takes place in the hospital. Uh, I think it is uh, in the uh, cafeteria or in the room next to the cafeteria. I'm not exactly sure where it is. I'm sure you know information will be available there. And it's at noon on, uh, on Wednesday. Well, of course, every month should be Nutrition Month because uh, we know that what we eat has an important role to play in terms of our health. It's just that there's so much debate about exactly what we should be eating or drinking. This past week, there was that scale about uh, the link between breast cancer and uh, drinking milk. And I've written about this extensively. You can go to our website, and uh, that is www.mcgill.ca slash OSS for society. And I put together a rather lengthy uh, article about uh, this relationship. And uh, I think that there may be something here. Obviously, one never comes to any kind of conclusion based on just one, one study. Uh, but also, I think this is one that cannot be dismissed, although I think that many dietitians will, will have a, an immediate reaction that this can't possibly be so because, uh, of course, they've been reared on the benefits of milk. And uh, I think this is worth following up. It's an interesting study. I don't think that anyone should make huge lifestyle uh, changes based upon it. But uh, neither can we randomly conclude that there's nothing in this. This was done by very good scientists. It involved a large number of people. All right, that's it. We have run out of time. I'll see some of you tomorrow at the Coat St. Luke Library, 2 o'clock. Some of you may be on Wednesday at noon at the Jewish uh, uh, General Hospital. And uh, for the rest of you, uh, I'll see you back here next Sunday, same time, same station. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.